Hello, and welcome to the This Happened Today in History podcast. I am your host, Mr. Miller. This podcast will cover a number of topics that happened on this date in history. Please visit the podcast webpage at thishappentoday.buzzsprout.com. There you can download the notes page, which will help you organize the information, as well as develop your own ideas on how these events change the world around us. If you're interested in hearing more, please consider subscribing so you will not miss out on what happens tomorrow in history. Today is June 14th. In 1940, German's troop, German troops rolled into the streets of Paris from the northwest today and swung triumphantly down the famous Champs-Élysées in the heart of the French capital. It was stated in authorized German sources. German tanks, their blunt-nosed guns ominously dominating the streets, led the advance into the city that last felt the tread of Prussian boots almost 70 years ago after Bismarck's triumph in the War of 1870. The swift, dust-stained tanks, armored reconnaissance units swung through the suburbs of Argentile and Neuilly into the swank west end of Paris and then past the Arc de Triomphe and the, down the Champs-Élysées. But Germans said the troops probably circled around the Arc de Triomphe as they went down the broad tree-lined avenue. The advance into Paris began early in the morning, just five weeks into to the day after the German invasion of the Low Countries and the beginning of real warfare against the British and French. There were a few Parisians along the route. Silent and tense, some of them stood at the curbs and watched the Nazi forces enter their capital. The German advances said, First came the tanks, flanked by armored ta- cars that rolled through the outskirts of the city, fled swiftly across the river scene, and thence onto the broad Avenue de Neuilly. Behind them came the anti-tank units, still smudged with the grime of battles that had been fought with a terrible fury north of Paris. As the sun rose high, still more units joined the parade of victory through the hostile capital from which French armies had fallen back during the night. Motorized infantry and steel-shielded trucks, with machine guns mounted to sweep the wide suites, streets, broadened after the French Revolution to prevent mobs from erecting barricades, raced across the scene bridges and southeastward toward the atoll, where the stands the Arc de Triomphe started during the years of the Napoleonic Triumphs. The Etoile is a big hub where almost a dozen streets and avenues join, including the Avenue des Champs-Élysées and the Avenue Fauche. It was laid out more than a century ago on a plan designed to permit government troops to place their cannon in a circle and sweep the approaching suites in a streets in event of repetition of the mob attacks of the French Revolution. The Arc de Triomphe is 160 feet high, one of the proudest triumphal arches in the world, and each stone bears the name of a victory or of a hero in the French military history. The German advances, advices said that the advancing troops swung on the down the Champs-Élysées and the Nazi officers leading the march took over from the French officials left in the city. About one-third of the normal population of 2.8 million remained in Paris, it was estimated. As soon as the French troops withdrew from the city, it was stated there, the French police, fire department, and other city departments placed themselves at the disposal of the Germans and offered to maintain order and discipline during the march-in of the Nazis. And in 1954... Well, actually, the Pledge of Allegiance was written in August, er, August of 1892 by the socialist minister Francis Bellamy. He lived in 1855 to 1931. It was originally published in the Youth's Companion on September 8th of 1892. Bellamy had hoped the pledge would be used by citizens in any country. In its original form, it read, I pledge allegiance to my flag and the republic for which it stands, one nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all. In 1923, the words, the flag of the United States of America, were added, and this time it read, 
I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. In 1954, June 14th, in response to the communist threat of the times, President Eisenhower encouraged Congress to add the words under God, creating the 31-word pledge we say today. Bellamy's daughter objected to this altercation. Alterations. Today it reads, in the section 4, the flag code states, The Pledge of Allegiance to the Flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. It should be rendered a standing at attention, facing the flag with a right hand over the heart. When not in uniform, men should remove any non-religious headdress with their right hand and hold it at the left shoulder, the hand being placed over the heart. Persons in uniform should remain silent, face the flag, and render the military salute. The originally Bellamy salute, first described in 1892 by Francis Bellamy, who authorized, authored the original pledge, began with a military salute, and after reciting the words to the flag, the arm was extended toward the flag. At a signal from the principal, the pupils, in ordered ranks, hands to the side, face the flag. Another signal is given. Every pupil gives the flag a military salute, right hand lifted, palm downward, to align with the forehead and close to it. Standing thus, all repeat together slowly, I pledge allegiance to my flag and the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice to all. At the words, to my flag, the right hand is extended, gracefully palm upward toward the flag, and remains in this gesture till the end of the affirmation, whereupon all hands immediately drop to the side. That's from the Youth's Companion of 1892. Shortly thereafter, the pledge was begun with the right hand over the heart, and placing, after reciting to the flag, the arm was extended toward the flag palm down. In World War II, the salute too much resembled the Nazi salute, so it was changed to keep the right hand over the heart throughout. And then in 1942, Anne Frank started her diary today. And on Friday, June 12th, this is from Anne Frank's first entry into the diary on June 14th, but it says, On Friday, June 12th, I woke up at 6 o'clock, and no wonder, it was my birthday. Just 22 days before going into hiding with her family and neighbors, Anne Frank was celebrating her 13th birthday much like any other young girl. She woke up early, too excited to sleep. In unwrapped presents like board games, chocolate, and the journal that she would use to write one of the most prolific and influential accounts of the Holocaust. Published in more than 60 languages, Anne's account of the two years she and her family spent in a neighbor's sealed-off annex reveals a human side to the suffering that became required reading for school children around the world. Anne was born in Frankfurt and was a German national. Through her fam though her family moved to the Le Netherlands in 1933 after the Nazis rose to power, early in 1940 the Franks found themselves trapped in Amsterdam under increasingly oppressive anti-Semitic laws. Anne and her sister Margot were removed from their classes and enrolled in the Jewish-only school. Their father Otto had to give up his business in order to save them from going under entirely. Anne, who dreamed of being an actress, found herself banned from something as simple as going to the movies. In 1941, they lost their German citizenship. On July 5th of 1942, Anne notes in her diary that her father is planning to evacuate the family in anticipation of Nazi orders to do so. For several days, there are no journal updates, and on July 8th, Anne reveals that the family received a notice ordering Margot to report to a work camp. They wait until the morning to make their escape, wearing layer upon layer of clothing to avoid carrying conspicuous luggage. This was the last time Anne would be outdoors until the family was found and arrested two years later. She died just two weeks after the liberation of Bergen-Belsen during the typhus epidemic that would claim roughly 17,000 prisoners. 
The publication of Anne's diary allowed for those far away from Europe to feel a human connection to the atrocities. Many survivors joined relatives in countries like the United States, and Anne's story served as an important tool in understanding the trauma these survivors had been through. In my hometown of Queens, New York, I lived amongst a large survivor population that could still not talk about what happened to them 40 years later. When I asked my grandmother about the numbered numbers tattooed on her neighbor's arm meant, she walked over to her bookcase and pulled up my mother's copy of Anne's diary. Anne never intended to become one of the most powerful symbols of one of the history's worst tragedies, writing, It is an odd idea for someone like me to keep a diary, not only because I have never done so before, but because it seems to me that neither I, nor that for that matter anyone else, would be interested in the embosomings of a 13-year-old schoolgirl. You have been listening to the This Happened Today in History podcast. I thank you for listening, and I hope that you have enjoyed learning about historical events from the past. Thank you to the following websites for their information regarding today's topics. ThePeopleHistory.com German tanks arrive in Paris at UPI.com The Pledge of Allegiance at USHistory.org and Anne Frank Diary at nww2m.com The music used as the background track for this podcast is Americana, created by Kevin McLeod on Incompetech.com. If you enjoyed this information and would like to hear more, please consider subscribing, as this will keep the historical events in your feed in the morning for each day. I hope you have a great day.